Welcome to the Thriving Academics Podcast. I'm Olya Talman, a professor and certified coach, and I share insights on how to create your best work and live your best life. If you want to go from surviving to thriving without sacrificing what's important to you, then listen on to find out how. Hello, my friends. In this episode, I'm discussing the grind culture in academia and how the value system perpetuated by the grind culture can actually produce exactly the opposite results than what it aims to accomplish. So the grind culture comes with a high personal cost for the illusion of high productivity and status. So today we're going to be talking about how the grind culture can have high and really significant individual costs. And also from more macro perspective, it really can be costly to have a culture in which individuals are expected to extend themselves beyond their normal capacity. So are you right now caught up in the grind culture? Do you want to get out of it and focus on what's really important to you without having to sacrifice your career and progress? And also, are you inadvertently perpetuating the grind culture and want to make changes? So let's start the conversation in this episode. So what is grind culture? So grind culture is the idea that status and contribution is achieved by always being on and available and that somebody's worth is measured by their work. So no matter where you are or when you are, you're supposed to be working. You are reachable at all times. And the first thing you do when you wake up is check and respond to emails. You are expected to be available for meetings at any time of the day, unless, of course, you are busy with other work meetings. You have never-ending to-do lists. And it's typically a badge of honor when you work well into the late night or sacrifice your weekends and kids' activities to finish a project. The academic grind culture can be made even worse by more or less flexible schedules. So then there's very little separation between the work hours and non-work hours. So many times, doctoral students and junior faculty are told that they should be working. I was recently talking to a friend who is moving institutions, and one thing that struck her at her new institution is that people were talking about their families and off-time activities. In her old institution, if someone were to bring up any leisurely activities they enjoyed over the weekend, they'd be met with frowns and disapproving looks and comments like, oh, I can't do that. I have so much work to do. There's this and that deadline coming up. Or worse yet, they will make comments behind their back during formal evaluations that so-and-so is not dedicated to their career as much, that so-and-so are they're lazy. And I think, unfortunately, this is really nothing new to many of us, but it's a huge problem. So what happens with grind culture is Basically, you see people pretending like they're, they don't have families, they have no hobbies, there's no life except for work. 
Work precedes everything else. Health, relationships, any human experience, human needs. In grind culture, work equals worth. So the more work you put in, the more time you put in, the better the person. And the grind culture penalizes people for having normal things like hobbies, children, taking weekends off, self-care, having a life. And being tired and stressed out and super busy is actually a huge badge of honor. Oh, you are so busy. You must be a really valuable member of this institution. Oh, you went hiking past weekend. You may not be as dedicated to your work and your work must be suffering as a result. So grind culture can really wreak havoc on individual well-being, relationships, and individual productivity. The idea of grind culture is really to kind of wring out the most productivity out of people for the greater good, but it really ignores the individual effects of having this imbalance, focusing way too much time and effort on work. And it results in a lot of stress, health issues, and huge imbalance in terms of people's lifestyles. And when you are focusing on appearing to be working all the time or really putting in a lot of time into work, then you're really not putting the due attention and time to your other priorities that you may have. For example, health is important and relationships. And sometimes when for women who tend to be the primary caretakers of their families, they get penalized for having to pick up kids and take them to activities or tend to sick family members. And as a result, work itself suffers. People who are stressed out, imbalanced, and unhealthy cannot produce good work when they want to actually work. So this overtiredness, unhappiness that results in lack of productivity all around is not good outcome. Mental health suffers. People are always on high alert. You can see people jumping up to different pings and notifications on their phones, rushing to respond to emails. And very often people also put, they have this lack of sense of security because they think that in order to have security in their career, they have to manage others' opinions of them as hardworking and dedicated academics to survive. And as a result, they resist being themselves. And for a short period of time, I think like early in the career as a doctoral student and maybe the first few years in the pre-tenure on the tenure track as a junior faculty, all of that, you still have energy and you still can do these things, but life goes on and now you have families and you have other things to do. You're, you're getting older, your health starts, you know, requiring more attention and it just kind of starts snowballing into 
situation that is not sustainable. On top of it all, really, grind culture also breeds these toxic productivity that I was just talking about, the inability to stop working. So inability to rest and to disengage and even resistance to recharging and relaxing and putting way too much weight on your work by putting your worth into how much you actually producing. So all of this is really a toxic productivity because why is this toxic is because it is coming at the expense of other things that may be important to you. And we, when we are in the grind culture without really examining our priorities, then we are not even aware of the cost that we're paying to appear productive and committed by the time we are aware of the cost, it's already too late. So either our relationships are suffering or our health is suffering and we're just not happy. Our mental health is suffering. So here are some grind culture myths that we typically hear about. And let me talk and explain why each one is a myth. So first myth is that putting long hours proves your worth, dedication, and value. That is absolutely not true. Your worth as a person, as a professional, is really independent of your work. Like you are who you are, and just because you don't work weekends does not make you any less worthy than a person who does. So there's this work and then there's your worth. They're very independent. In this point, I'm going to really emphasize strongly and consistently because this is where the biggest problem is when people conflate their individual worth as a human being with the amount of work that they're producing or by the outcomes that their work actually has. And it's important to really realize that your worth is completely independent of your work. There's there's who you are, and then there's things you do. And then these are very independent things. Second myth, if you push yourself harder, you will accomplish more. This is a problematic myth because actually by putting in more hours and more effort is not a linear relationship with your productivity and accomplishments. The reason it's not a linear relationship, obviously, if you're not doing anything, if you're not putting any time, of course, you're not going to accomplish much. But it's nonlinear in the sense that beyond a certain point, and it just depends on individual people, typically, what I've seen is really, if you want to get into deep in cognitive work, a person cannot really produce, I think their peak performance is about three hours, and then sometimes they can really increase their productivity and endurance and capacity to four hours, but I think three is probably an average. Three hours a day is the optimal number of hours that a highly cognitive 
work can take place. And beyond that, for every hour that you put in into the work, you have diminishing returns. And there's diminishing returns basically because your brain is not a machine. It needs rest. You are not a robot who is just designed to do one kind of work. You need to tend to your mental, physical wellness. You need to foster your relationships. So all of these different dimensions of somebody's life, human experience, really determines the level of productivity that you're going to have in the long term. So it is very important to understand that it's not a one-to-one ratio in terms of the hours put in and then the output that you get. After a certain amount, you're just going to have huge diminishing returns. Now, the next myth is that you are actually, by putting in a lot of time and working weekends and just prioritizing work over anything else, you're proving how capable you are to everybody and to your institution. This is huge problem because these are just kind of arbitrary rules, really. The expectation that somebody needs to work this many hours and they need to be doing this much output is really kind of made up rules. I'll talk about this made up rules later, but what's important to know is that This is other people's expectations, and we are good at guessing and good at thinking about what other people might think, but how much time do you spend on thinking about what do you want to think? What do you want? What are your priorities? Do you really want to follow these rules, and are you really aware of what you are actually giving up to get their approval. So this is this is going to be really important to realize that there is always trade-offs. You cannot spend the same hour again. Time is a limited resource. You can spend it only once. So if you're going to spend it on, say, you know, this project, you cannot spend it on another project again, or you cannot, if you decided to skip your kid's recital, and work on a project, you cannot go back and spend the same time going to the recital. So are you aware of what you're giving up to get their other people's approval? Another myth is that all of your hustle and hard work is the key requirement of success. And that may be true depending on how you define success. So if success to you is only quantifiable by the number of grants you submit or class evaluations or number of papers you publish, then you have somewhat one-to-one ratio about the effort and the output and how you measure success. But how do you actually define success? Like what does success mean to you? I think we're pretty clear what success looks like in the academic um, environment from the publication and professional point of view. But what does that actually mean to you as a human being, as a person, multidimensional person 
who has family relationships, hobbies, and a physical body, and you have a human brain. How do you define success? What does success mean to you? Is having published papers or having awards and promotions at the expense of your relationships, daily experience, health, is that definition success? Is that acceptable to you? Is that success? And it's perfectly okay if that's what you choose. At least you're choosing it on purpose. At least you are making that choice intentionally. So knowing what you are giving up to get something is going to be really important and choosing that on purpose. So if you define success more broadly, then success may not be achieved by putting in and um, spinning in the grind culture. Now, I work with people who feel trapped in this grind culture cycle, and I help them get out of it. So here are some of the key things how the work is done. The first thing is we decide on what the key priorities are. So usually it will be something like, I really don't want to feel stressed when I'm spending time with my family. I want to be present and I don't want to feel guilty when I'm working so that guilty about being a better parent, a spouse, partner, daughter, son. And by clarifying these priorities and getting a clear picture of what is most important to them, which may or may not include career goals, it becomes really important because that will define what the daily experience that they want to have and how to get them. So that's a really important first step, being very intentional and clear about their priorities. The second thing, once we're clear on the priorities, then we do an account, an audit of all the rules that the environment is imposing on them, the things that they know for a fact and things that they think people are imposing on them. So things like, what's the email response time? What is the expected FaceTime in the office? What is the expected availability on the weekend? So we do all the audit and account of all these expectations and the rules. And a key insight in listing these rules is that these all these rules are going to be all made up. So a bunch of people believe in these rules and they believe these rules are real and adhere to them to make them appear as though they're actually the fact of life. But rules change all the time. Somebody made it up. There is good history in terms of the institutionalized practices and beliefs. So they all made up to serve some purpose. And that purpose typically does not involve individual well-being and happiness. I've seen only a few institutions have very intentional rules and expectations that prioritize and pay attention to individual well-being. But most of these kind of implicit rules and the comments made, you know, offhand comments made by colleagues, they usually just a set of expectations and rules that we have just adopted them as in the process of these rules being adapted to the current environment. And a lot of it really comes from the scientific management philosophy that 
time equals money and we need to be as efficient as possible. Uh, we need to maximize the output per time. So given that a certain group of people or an institutional organization believes these set of rules, then we ask and be very clear, like, what do you want to do? So it is very important to understand that there is work to be done to change these rules, to change the system. That work is important. And I encourage that work wholeheartedly. But when I'm working with people one-on-one, and these are typically people in the early in their career who don't have power and influence in their organizations or institutions or departments. So asking them to push institutional change, first of all, it's not fair. It's not realistic. It's just not feasible. So what I focus on is to really bring this choice, individual choice, on how to respond and how to design your life, given that there is this set of rules. So the idea that you have a choice and how to approach these rules and expectations really provides a tremendous shift in energy. So people go from feeling completely powerless and at the effect of these rules to actively strategizing about how to manage them. And I think that brings a lot of space to pursue and do things that people actually want to do. Some people decide to take a stand against the grind culture and the rules. And for example, they decide not to respond to emails in the evenings and weekends. Some people decide to actually allocate time to respond to emails and They decide to curate their personal information in a way that avoids these perceptions of lack of commitment and ineptitude and things like that. Some people decide not to be in that environment at all and remove themselves from that environment, make a move to another institution that aligns better with their values and priorities, or they change their careers completely. So there is no right answer in terms of like how one responds to grind culture, but it is going to be at an individual level decision. So knowing that you have a choice in how to respond to this external environment and the set of rules is going to be the most important thing in our work. What's most damaging is when one interprets these sets of rules and expectations and their inability to comply with these expectations as something, as an evidence of that something is wrong with them. So the grind culture is impossible to keep up with without giving something up, you know, without giving up something. So thinking that you must be not good enough because you cannot keep up with the unrealistic and unhealthy expectations is the epitome of the grind culture. Grind culture doesn't want you to succeed. It needs you stressed out and always hustling to produce more. Because if once you're successful, if you feel success and you're satisfied, you're not going to produce anything. So since in its best interest to keep you stressed, 
always feeling in the lack, always feeling inadequate, and always hustling to produce more, do more, 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 more. So there's nothing wrong with you if you really cannot keep up with this. No one can keep up with the grind culture without sacrificing something. So the key question is, are you willing on purpose to sacrifice things? And what are those things? So this is a general process by which I help people keep their priorities, identify their priorities and keep their priorities in the presence of grind culture. So always remember that you can have a life, healthy relationships, good health, rich experiences, and a good career. But it needs to be designed on purpose. If you get caught in the grind culture without intentionally deciding what you're giving up in order to gain something, then this is where we see high levels of stress, hopelessness, decline in mental and physical wellness, problems in relationships, and eventually a lot of regrets. So I encourage you to take account of what your priorities are, whether the trade-off you're making is what you actually want to do, then decide on purpose what you want your life experience to be, given that we're living with all these made-up rules. How do you want to show up? Knowing that you have a choice and making that that choice on purpose is the best thing you can do for yourself and for people around you. If you are in a position of power and influence, I encourage you to make an assessment of the culture that is being perpetuated in your department, institution, and the field. Is the culture telling people that in order to succeed, they should not have families, hobbies, ignore their mental and physical well-being? Is it a norm to respond to emails instantaneously, no matter what time of the day or week it is? Are meetings being scheduled at the times when parents typically need to pick up their kids or prepare dinner or put kids to bed? Are people being shamed for taking the time off that they are due? Are people reluctant to talk about their families and tend to pretend they have nothing else going on except work? Our evaluation systems harbor this bias toward grind culture. What can you do to change this culture? If you're not in a position of power and feel hopeless, powerless, and exhausted, I encourage you to take the steps I described in this episode. So that's all I have for you today. If you want to learn more and get coached on how to design your life on purpose, go to my website and sign up for a consult call. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. Have a beautiful rest of the day. Until next time, create your best work and live your best life. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about all the things we talked about, check out womenfaculty.com where we take these concepts and apply them. Come join us and do your best work and live your best life.